Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. G'day and welcome to the Farms Vice Podcast with your host, Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it, or just love it. This podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the farm's advice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Advice and let's get into this episode. G'day and welcome to this week's episode. We have a cracking one, a very different one, very dominant in the lab. Um, and we'll be joined by Lachlan Dow, who is a microbiologist plant scientist, and he's a postdoctoral researcher with CSIRO, C-S-I-R-O, and he's got some great farms advice that he would like to pass on and see what we can do at the ground level with our microbes. How can we identify if we have healthy microbes or they're unhealthy for our crops moving forward? He's got plenty of experience, and I'm pretty keen to get into this episode to nerd out on microbes within Australian agriculture. Let's get into it. Well, anyway, welcome to the Farms Rice Podcast. Lachlan, thank you for coming on. We've got a special guest outside here, but great <laughs> to have you on nonetheless. Yes, yeah, pleasure. So your background, where you've come from, and from the view of a pint of science, how's everything looking within your lab, but also the future of what your role plays within agriculture? Sure. So a snapshot of our lab is... Uh, so our team's called Microbial Technologies, which is basically saying we're looking at when it comes to plant health and and infections that a plant gets, instead of looking at the, the plant side of it, for example, we do a lot of work with wheat, we focus on the, the microbe side of it, yeah. looking at, so we've got members in our team who look at uh, the pathogen itself and for other people like myself we're looking at all the other microorganisms that 
live alongside that plant and pathogen that may or may not be involved. Um, so it's very microbiology focused work at the moment, um, but all within the context of um, the plant's ability to resist infection, basically. Yeah, beautiful. And just to round that off and thank you for coming on, before we do, let's get down to like your background and your connection and how you ended up into the lab working within agriculture. So I was always really passionate about science growing up, um, but also really passionate as an as a outdoors kind of person. And at somewhere along the way, I got really into plant science. I wasn't so interested in, in animal science or, or human stuff and, and plants really stood out. Um, that was a, a big driver for me. And I sort of saw from, from my like earlier studies, I really saw that uh, there's a continual effort required to make sure our agriculture and environment are healthy and that they also kind of need to work together a bit. So I did a lot of other sort of post-grad studies and, and research on, on different things, especially a lot of aquatic and marine biology along the way. But there was always, in the back of my mind, the work always had to have a, a clear drive to improve either our, basically improve our society's ability to, to grow something or to, um, to improve the life of humans out there somewhere. So that's, so in the end, agriculture ticks all those boxes basically. Yeah, and just having that connection, that impact um, is pretty fulfilling as a person within working with the agriculture. And I think everyone can associate with that, whatever sort of role they've got and your role's pretty heavily dominated in the lab. Yeah, very lab focused. Uh, but the, the knowledge that we, we need to have a, an outcome for agriculturalists and, and pastoralists across Australia is a massive motivation for us. Yeah. And you're working with CSIRO, CSIRO, whatever you may call it. What do people call it in the office? Uh, I say CSIRO. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll stick to CSIRO. So what's your role with them currently and how does that play out within what you're working with, your microbiomes and everything? Yeah, so I'm a pretty new starter at CSIRO, actually. I've only been here about six months. And my role in CSIRO is part of a, a big consortium of different research groups here. And all these groups are, are looking towards what the microbiome does when it comes to the health of the whole organism. Um, so that's a really broad <laughs> subject. Um, maybe we should start with what a microbiome actually, actually is. Um, it's a... It's a bit of a curly question, but basically, if you if you think of all of the microorganisms that live in a given space inside another visible organism, like a plant or a cow or a human, that's the microbiome. And so it's basically all of these little bacteria and fungi that are just living alongside us all the time. And it's in sort of a generation ago, it was kind of discarded as, as not really an important part of the the bigger organism yeah. um but it's becoming clearer and clearer now that there's lots of subtle <laughs> jobs that are 
that are completed by these microorganisms. Um, obviously, for um, pastoralists that that are growing ruminant animals, animals rather, uh, they know for sure how important those microbes are because obviously, like ruminant animals can't even digest grass properly without the right microbes. But it gets a lot more. There's we think there's a lot more detail involved in and a lot of really exciting discoveries that can that can help along the way. Um, so my role specifically is what microbiomes are doing for our broad acre crops. And uh, with a big focus on wheat, uh, we're starting to see that there are bacteria and other microbes in soil, which colonize our broad acre crops and grow within, um, within the shoot especially that really confer a massive uh, advantage when it comes to resisting infections. Um, so the question we now have is how can we exploit that, uh, that microbial diversity to um, improve the health of our, of our crops basically? Well, diving into like the health of crops and having a healthy gut for ourselves, talking about the, the plant's gut health as well. What sort of areas of agriculture are you currently working within? Is it broad acre cropping, horticulture we spoke a little bit before and how that plays out? Yeah, so uh, my work in particular is very much focused on um, broad acre cropping and, and wheat. We've done a bit of other stuff with, um, uh, with oats and canola as well with some of my teammates. And when we zoom out a little bit among the, the consortium, there's people along the whole spectrum of, of the food chain, as well as stock feed and, and stock themselves. But for me personally, it's very much focused on, um, on the plant side of things. And like, is it forever evolving of what the microbes are doing within the plant and it's constantly changing in how farmers can choose to utilize different products or something like that? How is microbes impacting wheat farmers in Australia? Yeah, that's a that's a one of the key questions. And one of the one of the important messages is that the the diversity of the microbes in our plants is very much dictated by the microbes in your soil. So this is kind of like a, when we look at the amount of microbes in soil, it's like staggering numbers and some of the estimates out there are just stupid like you know you've every gram of soil you've got a billion bacteria laying dormant and so there's there's this kind of we often think of it as a continuum where you've got heaps of bacteria in the soil they start to colonize the plant as the plant uh, germinates so you, they can start to colonize the seed right as the right as um the the root or the radical call it what you want pops out it gets into the root and then as the shoot starts to emerge that brings microbes with it so the the health of the soil not just like from a uh, a chemical perspective like how much like nutrients are in it but also from a biological perspective is really a, a key message that those microbes are helping to dictate the outcome of of the crop in particular when it comes to disease resistance and yeah that disease resistance probably one of the biggest things within australia and resistance to chemicals and everything like that 
but the microbes within a wheat crop and their plant health, what is their role? Like, what are, are there good ones? Are there bad ones um, within our crop systems? Yeah, awesome question. So there's there's a whole spectrum of, of microbes in there. Like if we if we just do some just do some experiments like some and just get some genetic sequences of all the bacteria living in a in a wheat plant, we're gonna get thousands of species. And we can pick up some that are potentially pathogenic. Um, famous one would be like Pseudomonas syringae. And then through to other heaps of bacteria that don't seem to be doing doing anything but then there are some really interesting species that we're starting to discover which uh will colonize wheat plants and as as long as they're growing within within your plant they will actually improve the tolerance to disease so we've um we've found that that uh crown rot is some is a particular disease that's quite we're quite effective at dealing with and um, the the list is going on. So we've got some very strong antifungal or antipathogenic species of bacteria out there. And as long as they're growing with your, your wheat, there's a measurable difference there. Um, now, of course, one of the other big questions in all this work when it comes to, to endophytes is actually getting that from a, a system that works in the lab to what works in the field. It's often one of the biggest bottlenecks in our, in our research. Um, so there's sort of different questions along the way. And one of the biggest questions is why or how can it, how can we improve that efficiency of um, ensuring that the right microbes are there? So we can, we could, for example, in develop a, like a foliar application that, uh, that controls um, an infection much in the same way as, as you'd intervene with a, with a fungicide, for example. And we've got some really exciting work in that direction. But if you look one step further, the, the next question is, how can we make that like a longer term relationship between plant and beneficial microbe, if you know what I mean? So if, if the right microbes are there to start with, then the need to intervene later is much less likely. Of course, there's always going to be... Um, I'm not saying that we'll be able to just like wipe fungicides off the map, but uh, there are times when, you know, fungicide applications are um, really not a, a, not a good time to, to apply fungicides and bridging that gap using a microbe might be a really exciting prospect. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at the role of how they can help that farmer improve their own crop health um, over that period how can we, like before even growing a crop, how can we improve our microbes, the good ones, um, for our crop health? Are they all stored in the soil and they're just coming up naturally with the plant? The, the rough rule of thumb that I'm starting to pick up is about 60 to 70% of the, the microbes in, your, in a plant came from the soil it grew in. Yeah. or the soil it germinated in. And the last 30% was derived from the previous generation. So there's a little bit coming through with the seed itself. And that's one of the times when we can intervene quite effectively and apply a, a coating of, of bacteria or a coating of spores in this case um, to a seed. And 
therefore ensuring that there's a really good chance that those beneficial microbes will come along with it. When it comes to, to what, uh, what a farmer might be able to do today to help is a, is a really big question. I don't know I have the expertise to answer it, to be honest. Um, somebody asked me a similar question a, a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about their garden and I said, well, compost is obviously a huge source of, of microbes, but you don't know what microbes you're getting. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And um, I wish I had a, had a good answer for it. Yeah, one that will play out for different scenarios or for different farmers. But throughout your lab simulations, we'll call it that of how you're trying to identify these microbes. What sort of insights have you found for primary producers and how has that changed the way that they grow their crops, use their soils to the best of their capabilities? Yeah, big question. I, I so far have found that uh, we're working at the moment with a lot of different soils that we've been sourcing across Australia. And uh, there's one thing that I think is really interesting and I, and I hope can, can be developed into something when it comes to a farm practice would be like a, this idea that there, there are just some patches of, of paddocks out there that seem to be more disease resistant. Yeah. Um, and we're starting to think that that's uh, one very good hypothesis is that that soil has living things in it, which help protect plants against disease. Um, so I think, I suppose it's, it would be, <laughs> It would be bold of me to to tell a farmer, well, you know, watch out for for what's out there in your paddock. But actually, I think it is it's it's not just a you know a question of the grass is greener. I think there really can be parts of of paddocks out there where the soil's just got something better or something living in it, which is just gives it a little bit of an advantage. And so maybe if I could offer advice to a farmer, it would be like, well, don't just ignore that as 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 being that's just how it is. There is a there could be a very interesting reason why that corner of the, you know, the south facing paddock yeah. never really gets uh, particularly bad crown rot or, or head blight or something like that. Is there a way that a farmer can test for that or is it needing to go further under the microscope to see what microbes are in the soil, in their plants? Yeah. Also a good question. There's, I know there's actually um, a, like an ag tech startup who are sort of invent inventing a device that can sniff out dodgy soil actually. So when it comes to bad soil, these guys actually have worked out um, yet yeah, like a portable machine that, that can detect early signs of infection based on literally based on the like gaseous emissions coming out of soil and, and crops when it comes to testing, whether it's good or not, that's a that's a really good question. If if people want to experiment, then I think just taking a a sample of that soil and and challenging it is is something anyone can do at home. If you want to just see what, for example, if you just move that soil to the other side of the paddock where you tend to get more typical infection, why not? It's uh, that would be that's a really good outcome. And um, if you're able to see that 
that the soil is still producing that effect of resisting infection, then you've got a you've got a pretty exciting uh, golden goose <laughs> in the corner. You know, um, when it comes to how we we do it in the lab, it, it's um, it's usually like a sort of a glasshouse experiment where we are intentionally infecting crops to see how they how they fare against disease. Um, and obviously, I'd never uh, recommend someone intentionally in, infecting crops to to see what uh, see what would happen. Um, so yeah, really really difficult, I would say, to 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 sort of test that at home. But um, people are toying with the idea of of mixing or spreading soils that are, have really good um, disease resistance abilities, kind of like a um, how do we call it like We've, you know, for humans, there's these fecal transplants that can help humans with their their uh, gut microbiome. It's kind of like a, a soil transplant for for crop microbiome, I suppose. Yeah, very interesting in how that can play out for the farmer. What are the telltale signs, though, of having good or bad mi- microbes in your soil um, for a farmer just looking at the crop, or is it you have to go further past that? other than crown rot or something like that? That's one of the one of the biggest unanswered questions in in this research, not only just as when it comes to researching microbiomes on crops or, or plants, but microbiomes for animals, humans, all sorts of stuff. One one of these big challenges is that it takes a huge amount of, of work and uh, a lot of sort of yeah, a lot of research hours to to work out what is a, a good or a bad microbiome. So one of the questions we're trying to answer at the moment is is exactly that, and find a way that we can very quickly diagnose the the overall health of that microbiome and say, yeah, this microbiome or this soil and this plant actually has what it needs, um, and uh, should be able to, oh, it's got the best chance of resisting infection or maybe the opposite outcome, we'd take a sample and be able to quickly say, actually, we should intervene here um, and try to improve the the quality of that soil and therefore the, the plant within it. Um, so we don't know right now, there's no fast test for it. And that's where our research comes in, basically. Um, yeah, we, we just basically need to find a way to be able to, to quickly diagnose that and, and it's one of these one of these problems where you've got so many thousands of different species you've got so many different actors in this small space and to test each one individually is basically impossible but we also know that the whole the whole population of different bacteria in that soil behave differently to how they would individually so uh, I think it's a we're right at the start of, of trying to understand that, that question. Um, and hopefully at some point we get there where it becomes part of like a standard practice to, to go out, look through soil and say, yeah, this has got good living things in it or this has got bad living things in it um, and we need to intervene. Um, I hope we get there one day. Yes, Lily, one day we might be able to take a picture of our soil or plants and it will say good or bad microbes. For that off the back, how bad can the microbes be that like we don't even 
it's not worth getting a crop in to that paddock, to that soil. Is that the sort of decision that farmers would be looking to make later on once they can identify or they've had a researcher like yourself out on farm? Um, I'd hope not. Or is it just limiting what our yield is for that crop? In, in the sort of cases I'm looking at, I think it's more focused on uh, the, on like a sort of a disease suppression. Yep. You know, I, I don't think, I, th I think it's pretty obvious to a, to a farmer when, I, when it's not worth cropping. Yeah. Um, but I think more specifically, the question is if, if, you know, if I'm going to have a bad year, for example, you know, it's the last couple of wet years have been tough for, for like Ascochyta and, and pathogens like that. Um, your, the hope would be more directed towards, well, this, this part of my paddock's going to probably going to have, or this paddock over here is going to have a tough time if, if we have a, an outbreak. Um, and therefore we need to work on that more specifically. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's like, it's, it's also very difficult to say there's good and bad microbiomes. It's more like it has a good ability to suppress disease or a bad ability to suppress disease. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. For yourself though, like working in the lab and maybe getting out in the paddock sometimes, what's the outlook for microbes look like in the next five to 10 years and how they're playing out with the research, with new technology coming in must be pretty exciting to have that ability to sort of transform soils and give the best insights you can for Syro and also the farmers. Um, it's, I think it's really interesting. Obviously I wouldn't be taking this job if I didn't think it was interesting and exciting. Yeah. Um, if you, if people are aware of like some of the similar case studies over the last couple of decades, the, the, a really clear message would be that there's lots of, uh, yet to be discovered secret weapons when it comes to the microbiome of our crops. And we just, we don't know when, you know, we might be able to pull out a new um, really effective uh, tool that we can use to, to push our crops to a more healthy direction. A really good example of that is um, the ryegrass endophytes that a lot of dairy farmers have been using um, in New Zealand and Australia. For those who aren't aware of it, let's like um, uh, ryegrass as a as a pasture has lots of different fungi living inside it. Just like so, there's lots of different fungi in the microbiome, and some of them have um, mammalian toxins in them that have a pretty bad effect on um, on any grazing cattle. But research eventually showed that there's specific strains of these fungi endophytes which improve the growth of the plant and don't have any negative effects for the, um, for the grazing cattle. So there was this really big win-win for them, right? Because you've got a, you can improve not only like the health of your, your crop or the health of your pasture, but you can also improve the health of your, your cattle grazing it. And I, there's, when you look at the diversity of bacteria and fungi living in our soils, there's, bound to be heaps more of these kind of discoveries to be made um the question is uh how, how quickly can we find them basically and um you put the sort of five to ten year 
timeline on it. And I think that's pretty reasonable. And, and um, based on some of the other stuff we're, we're working on, I'm, I'd be hopeful that things start popping up in the market, particularly in the sort of buyer control agent area in the next sort of three to five years. I'm, I'm pretty excited, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool space to be in and be able to put this out to the farmers to hear what you're talking about and everything. But how can farmers actually access maybe a bit of your research? Is there a place at CSIRO that we can go and have a read just to fulfill ourselves on what this episode's covered a little bit more? Yeah, so there's, uh, there's a website for our team. It's called the Microbial Technologies uh, team within CSIRO. So if you just Google... Cyro Microbial Technologies, pretty sure we're the top hit. Um, then, yeah, I would start there for sure. Um, if people are into um, to other sort of directions, there's always um, um, oh, actually, no, I'm stick with that one. Yeah, I think our our microbial the technologies. The show notes anyway. I'll I'll go and Google it myself and find it so people can have a look and see what's yeah, sure. with your research. But yeah, we just updated it, so it's um it's all up to date, so so it should be good. Beautiful. And anyone that wants to contact you, Lachlan, how can they do so? Uh, all my contact details will channel through from the bottom of that same website. Yep. Yeah. Um, should all be contactable through there somehow. Um, definitely recommend it. Beautiful. And for coming onto the show, every guest I ask. Who else would you like to hear on the Farms Wise podcast and why? You can keep it within Sire if you want. Keep the microscope going. Oh, sorry. I there, We had a lot, lots of connection there. You were asking who would I like to see on the Farms Advice podcast? Yeah. You can keep it within Sire and what scientists are doing on the back end of what farmers are. Yeah, it's a good question. I was, I was uh, trying to think of a good answer to this one. Um, you can chuck out a department if that makes it a bit easier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, within CSIRO or within a department, um, I, oh, I, throw my, I throw my colleague under the bus um, from Microbial Technologies. Yeah. Her name's Marta. And uh, shout out to Marta, wherever she's listening from. Um, she's got a huge amount of knowledge when it, when it comes to all sorts of different agricultural work she's worked with avocado she's worked with macadamia um radiata pine she's got so much knowledge when it comes to to soil and all sorts of different horticultural work um she so often has the answer that i've been spending hours googling for um yeah. should have asked her in the first place well nice one Marta. i'm sure we'll track you down and see if we can get you on the podcast Lachlan, mate, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing some of your microbes for our listeners. It would be great to get some of that information out there. And anyone looking for more, I'll have the link in the show of what Lachlan and the team are doing. It's my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. And I hope uh, it was interesting. Thank you for tuning in to the Farms Advice podcast. It is produced by Advert Your Eyes Digital, the agribusiness marketing specialist. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more information on this episode and the others before and spread the farm's advice. If you love this episode, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe as it helps other farmers find us too. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming.
In the spirit of reconciliation, the Farms of Ice podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country for Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.